I, I'm, I'm waiting because this is good, you know, all the hello. Because see, on Sundays, you don't have to go as far. On Wednesdays, you, you got to shout to people because, you know, there's a lot of spaces in between the, the pews. But another real blessing was uh, a brother whose son is, has a terminal condition who uh, the insurance company, by several thousand dollars, was not going to pay for a, a piece of medical, well, 13000 and uh, uh, I, you know, we talked about some ways to get there and to get to that we would help as well. And he just came and told me today that he called the insurance company again. It was their error, and they're going to pay for the wheelchair and stuff. So, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I, God just allows these things to test us, you know, and to see if we'll continue to walk by faith and not by sight. He can do anything. There's nothing that our God cannot do. So tonight we're going to be in 1 Samuel 21 and 22, as 21 is a short chapter. Tonight we're going to be in 1 Samuel 21 through 22, and we left off with pretty much definitive proof of King Saul's intentions on killing David. And this evening's study is going to give us a glimpse of the beginning of the fugitive years for David. Uh, he's going to be running from King Saul for a while. And then eventually, several chapters later, we'll get to the good part of David actually taking the kingdom and becoming the king. So we have to get through. It's going to get worse before it gets better, so to speak. So starting with verse 1 in chapter 21, Now David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest, and Ahimelech was afraid when he met David and said to him, Why are you alone and no one is with you? So David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has ordered me on some business and said to me, Do not let anyone know anything about the business on which I send you or what I have commanded you. And I have directed my young men to such and such a place. Now, therefore, what, have you, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread in my hand or whatever can be found. And the priest answered David and said, There is no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread, if the young men have kept, at least kept themselves from women. Then David answered the priest and said to him, Truly, women have been kept from us about three days since I came out, and the vessels of the young men are holy, and the bread is in effect common, even though it was sanctified in the vessel this day. So the priest gave him holy bread, for there was no bread there but the show bread, which had been taken from before the Lord, in order to put hot bread in its place on the day when it was taken away. So David is running. He goes to Nob, which is near Jerusalem. But Jerusalem doesn't have much significance yet. It hasn't been taken from the Jebusites and been made God's holy city yet. So this is where David is going. He meets priest Ahimelech, who's probably the high priest at the time, and he needs food. It isn't like today where we... You know, if you're in the military, you have the MREs, which are vacuum-sealed and salted, and they, they last pretty much for years. You can put them in your attic. Uh, back in those days, the food had to be fresh. Otherwise, it rotted or got moldy. Or, uh, so they, they need food. They're hungry. Now, Jesus, if you know your scripture well, he refers to this in Matthew 12 in the New Testament. And this is when he's disputing with the religious leaders. And the dispute really has to do with man's need and survival over ceremonial law. When two laws come into contact, one law has to take precedence. I love science, so I know that you know, to take a huge multi-ton plane, metal plane, and get it off the ground, well, there's a gravity problem. However, if you get that plane going fast enough and you get the wings 
uh, the wind going over the airfoil in the wing, you have Bernoulli's principle, which gives the wings lift. So gravity is still in effect. If the plane slows down, we're going to have a problem. But as long as that plane is going fast enough, it's lifted under Bernoulli's principle, which takes precedence over gravity. Point being made is that in Leviticus 24, the showbread, there were 12 loaves, and it was just for the priests. However, Ahimelech is going to make an exception. And he asked David, uh, how are your men? You know, have they been with women? Are they, are they pure, at least, uh, for a while? And he says, yes, yeah, so you can have the, the bread. This is amazing, and there's a really good point here. Going back to the Pharisees and Jesus, legalists like to make what God makes beautiful burdensome. Uh, if you take communion, uh, the legalists will take communion and give you so many rules that you get confused about whether you should take the bread and the cup or not. If, you're, if you get baptized, uh, the legalists will make it so difficult. See, Jesus said, I came to take your burdens away. The legalists try to put the burdens back on people. But it's a very simple thing. David is, and his men are going, uh, could starve. Something could happen. And they're provided with bread. End of story. Now, a few additional points. Number one, Himelech is troubled, and rightly so. He sees David with a few guys and no royal entourage. So in his spirit, something's troubling to him. The second thing we see is that David now is, is in a descent of making up stories. Uh, he's starting to, and, and I'll go through some of them. But what happens is, this. I'm going to give you like five points of what fear does to us, and we see it in the life of David. Now, the good news is in the next chapter, things start to look up for David, and we, it's a lot more encouraging. But right now, we're in these two difficult chapters for David. Number one, fear. When we let fear get the better of us, we start to rely more on our own resourcefulness than the Lord. The attitude is the Lord is taking too long. So we have to fill in the blanks. Now I say that, that's not the godly thing to do, but fallen beings start to do that instead of waiting on God's timing. There may be somebody here right now who should be waiting on the Lord, and they're tempted to do something. They're tempted to be resourceful because God is taking too long. Right? And we know that happens when we are in fear, the fear that God may have left us. Right? So that's the first point. Let me jump to uh, verse 7. It says, Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord, and his name was Doeg, an Edomite, the chief of the herdsmen who belonged to Saul. And David said to Ahimelech, Is there not here on hand a spear or a sword? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business requires haste. So the priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, there it is, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it. For there is no other except that one here. And David said, There is none like it, give it to me. Now if this was a movie, Doeg would be hiding in the shadows. You know, he's listening to what's going on. He's the villain, and we'll find that out. But David needs a weapon. Quite ironically, the only one available is the one that he used, or excuse me, the one when he killed Goliath, he took his weapon as a spoil of war. So he'll take it. Now, again, I, I, have the, uh, I think I have the ability to almost imagine what a person may be going through by reading the Scripture. Just picture that sword as a reminder of David some years back, of his great faith as a young man. Can you imagine David stopping at that point as 
Ahimelech hands him the sword and he looks at it. And he looks at it. And memories are conjured up about his great faith when he was fighting Goliath. Ah, the glory days. Maybe he was saying to himself, boy, I really don't like where I am right now. You know, do we ever do that? Do we ever stop and say, you know, and and I've heard this. I remember in in my old church when my wife, my sister, and I got saved, and, uh, you know, we were so excited. We were at everything. And some of those that were in the faith for maybe decades were like, yeah, I remember the days when we got saved and we were so excited. Why does that have to end? Like 16, 17 17 years later, I'm still excited about the Lord, i got to tell you. Forget about the glory days. That stuff is nonsense. When we have a walk with the Lord, every day is a glory day with the Lord. I really believe that. I'm going to tell you something. I don't believe that. I don't believe in, I believe that every day can be an exciting day with the Lord. And I would tell you that the men who serve with me, Pastor Mike, Pastor Vinny, Pastor Paul, John, Daryl, I can tell you right now that they believe the same thing. That's why there's such really neat things going on in this church. Because God will reward those that believe he can do it. It isn't us. He's just looking for someone to believe in him. And isn't it sad in 2 Chronicles 16, 9, I believe it is, he scans the earth and he looks and he has to scan the earth to find a person here and there that believes that he can do it. God is not going to reward unbelief. That's an important thing to remember. Verse 10. Then David arose and fled that day from before Saul and went to Achish, the, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing of him to one another in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? Boy, word travels fast. They even ended up in the Philistine camp. Remember that? Now David took these words to heart, or in his heart, and was very much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them feigned madness in their hands, scratched on the doors of the gate, and let his saliva fall down on his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Look, you see, the man is insane. Why have you brought him to me? Have I need of madmen, that you have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? So, King Achish of Gath, it's a Philistine stronghold just outside of Israel's border. Why is David in a Philistine city? These were the enemies of God. He fought them. Right? And he ends up in a place where he doesn't belong. And that's where fear brings us sometimes, in a place where we don't belong. So the second point, fear will put us in places we don't belong. It'll put us hanging out with people we shouldn't be hanging out with. I talked about Sunday, the gossip. How gossips today have great followings. Because people are afraid of the gossip because they don't want that person talking about them. Hanging out with people we shouldn't be hanging out with. Involved in relationships that we shouldn't be involved in. It's the second point. Twelve. But David was afraid of Achish. And he imprisoned himself in this city of Gath because this was a fortified city. This was... Uh, You know, they didn't have that many cities, the Philistine. They were on the western side of Israel, and they felt they had to protect themselves from the Israelites. So David is in this city. And the third thing that fear does is it creates a prison for us. And the bricks and the bars of those prisons 
are what we build ourselves when we're afraid. Think about that. I'm sure <laughs> this, is, this is powerful stuff, and I've got to tell you, I'm looking at some of these, and I've been there. I've been in these situations. I've built a prison for myself, and I'm, I'm, I'm trapped in it, but it's of my own making. This is what fear will do to us. And it's a slippery slope. Before we know it, we're in a place that we don't belong. So David needs to be released. What does he do? He pretends to be insane, or he lies again about his behavior. He drools on himself. I could just picture, you know, just spittle all over his beard and, and scratching on the, just acting like a crazy person just so they'll leave him alone or get rid of him. Remember, he's behind, you know, he was brought to the king. So he's captured at this point, right? Now, I think that a lot of pastors would criticize me for characterizing David this way because he's like the golden child of, of sermons. But the truth is, it's, this isn't a pretty place that David is in right now. Understand? He's a human being just like all of us. And sometimes we're in a place that we don't belong. But the fourth point is that David starts this, okay, so he lied to the enemy. But he also lied, he, he also got his best friend Jonathan to lie for him to the king. Okay, we remember that. He lies to Ahimelech. And this gets Ahimelech killed later. And he lies about his mental state. What it does show is that even those uh, that God uses can hit low points. And this isn't a, a flattering portion of Scripture for David. Now, is it true that David at some point could have just said, and he could have, he could have just said, you know what, I'm tired of running. You know, God said I would be the king. So am I really afraid of Achish? Am I really afraid of Saul? David could have taken his uh, $300 running shoes off and said, I'm not running anymore. I'm going back home. Whatever will be, will be, because I trust God. He could have done that. But see, we could do that as well. Let's not give David too hard of a time. Sometimes we run, you know. We run from things. We don't know what we're running from. But we need to stop running and trust God, because there's also promises for our lives as well. We don't have to run. We don't have to be fugitives, spiritual fugitives. So the chapter leaves off. We know that Achish lets him go. David's life is spared, but not without humiliation and maybe a little loss of dignity. The fifth point, fear will get us in a place where at times we'll be humiliated and we'll do things that maybe are a little undignified. And fear will always take the place in the vacuum where the love and the trust of God once was. As we start to, 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 to wonder and we start to question and we start to trust less, it creates a vacuum. And that vacuum will bring fear into it. We've, I think we've all been there as human beings, haven't we? You've lived long enough. You know, even if it's a small thing. Now, um, I'm looking forward to Pastor Paul's continuation of the Psalms because a lot of these Psalms, specifically 34 and 56, uh, had to do with David's stay with the Philistines. And then we're going to look at some of the other Psalms when David was in the cave in Adullam. However... When we read the Psalms, David speaks about how much he trusts God. So how do we rectify this behavior with some of these Psalms? Well, the truth is, do we have our ups and downs? Can we really have a bad day today and tomorrow wake up and say, you know what, I'm just going to walk in faith. Sure we can. There really, there really is no inconsistency. Because sometimes as humans, we're inconsistent. And that's the truth. 
Even as believers, we can be inconsistent. We need to be more consistent, but that's what you have. I want to encourage you, but not give an excuse. See, I want to be careful. A pastor has to walk a fine line sometimes. David was human, we're human. David messed up, we messed up. David sinned, we sinned. David sometimes lives in disbelief. Sometimes we do as well. However, it's not an excuse to be lackluster in our walk for God because this happened to David. It's not something that we shouldn't settle for mediocrity. I can't tell you how many times I've heard some be involved in a sin and instead of repenting, and they'll actually say, well, you know, David was with Bathsheba and he killed Uriah, so I think I'm probably okay right now. No, bad, not good. Remember, David, in the Old Testament, the the power of the Holy Spirit, the sealing of the Holy Spirit was different. It seemed as it was more for a time, although certain individuals, the Bible said, from their birth, like John the Baptist, was filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't believe that David was sealed with the Holy Spirit as we are. It's a different dispensation. So we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. We shouldn't settle for mediocrity. We shouldn't settle for just falling back on, well, God will just forgive me. And I'll tell you this, that that's poor theology. And the truth is that God will not bless persistent sin in our lives. The scriptures are clear about that. We are called to holiness. We're called to be separated. Now, I'll be honest with you here. I don't have the market cornered on holiness myself. But that's my goal. That's my desire. That's the bar that that the Lord set for us. And I will tell you that um, instead of... and, And I've seen this as well. Even when it happens to ourselves, we'll we'll keep throwing the, you know, don't judge me, I don't want somebody to judge me, because maybe we don't want them sniffing around in that closet that kind of something smells coming from that closet in our lives. You know, we don't want anybody getting too close. I got news for you. The pastor doesn't have to judge you. Neither do fellow Christians. But I'm telling you this, as a believer, if we are in persistent sin, the Lord will deal with us. He will judge us. Look at, that, look at that word judgment. It has a vast variety of meaning, and we need to put it in context, okay? You don't have to worry about fellow Christians. You don't have to worry about your pastor. What we need to be concerned about is God because the Bible says if God loves us, he will chasten us and discipline us. He won't bless it. Chapter 22, verse 1. David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became captain over them. And there were about 400 men with him. Then David went from there to Mizpah of Moab. And he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and mother come here with you till I know what God will do for me. So he brought them there before the king of Moab, and they dwelt with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. Then the prophet Gad said to David, Do not stay in the stronghold, depart, and go to the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Hereth. So now David flees to Adullam, which is is a cave, it's in Judah, uh, and he gathers 400 disenfranchised uh, from King Saul's uh, rule. Now, it does appear that even David's brothers left the army and joined David. That's pretty impressive. And they had the courage to support him even though he was an outcast. 
And that's good because it's very easy for us to support the popular people, isn't it? At any age, our peer group, the ones that are popular, we get behind the ones that are popular. That's easy to do. But it's a lot more difficult and it shows a lot more character when we get behind someone who's right, who's righteous, who's standing on God's word, but they're not liked very much, right? You've seen it. You've seen it, but they're doing it. So King Saul says in the next few verses, and we're going to get to it, that what can David do for you? And he's trying to say, uh, it's a rhetorical question, nothing. Only I can do these things for you. Uh, and I'll tell you what, those 400 lived a hard life with David as a fugitive. And we'll see as we get through to the following chapters. You know, again, it's easy to be with someone who's, um, who's got popular, who's got wealth, who's got, you know, whatever it takes. But if you look at the persecuted church, look at some of these uh, countries in Africa, in Asia, right? the Dalits in India, okay? to stand with them when the government's against them, when their village is against them, when the whole world is against them, but God is for them. It take, it's just amazing. In some of these countries, the more Christians are persecuted, the more their numbers are growing. The underground church in China in Vietnam, being uh, baptized in dirty, uh, stagnant ponds, but just, just to, they just want to be baptized, right? I mean, that's, that's what it's at, and that's a real refining process, too. You know, sometimes Western Christianity is very easy. You know, everything's at the click of a mouse. We can assemble freely. We don't have to worry about the authorities coming in. Uh, you know, in some of these countries, every time a church is built, the mobs burn it down. And, and it's just the way the, the majority of the world is to our brothers and sisters. But there's a refining faith that takes place there. So David now flees to Mizpah of Moab. He takes his parents there. Now this is, if you're into geography, it's on the east side of the Dead Sea. So we're really talking about the southern area, the, the area of Judah, the southern border of Israel. And then a lot of the stuff is happening on either side of the Dead Sea. So that's what's going on there. But the prophet tells him to leave the stronghold. Now, the stronghold, interestingly enough, the word in Hebrew is motsudah. Does that sound familiar? The word we get, masada, the stronghold. Remember the um, 72 AD, the, the last stand that the Jews made against the Romans? The stronghold. It was this, this it really was kind of in the middle of nowhere, but it was a, a high uh, plateau and you could see for miles around you could see troop movements uh, it collected water up there i mean uh, i think the stronghold with the jews against the romans there was uh, several hundred of them that uh, were, were they probably would have lasted a long time had the romans not built a siege ramp and then was able to break through their defenses but uh, it does seem that david was in this stronghold which was really on the outs the fringe the outskirts of judah just uh, west of the dead sea However, 1 Chronicles 12, which is a parallel scripture, tells that even the children of Israel from Benjamin and Judah were among David's swelling ranks. So they start to grow. Now, why does Gad tell David to leave the stronghold? Well, you know, it could, quite, it could be that uh, David was... Uh, he, he didn't want David out in the middle of nowhere. He didn't want David to, to be fleeing in fear. As a matter of fact, in the next chapter, we find out that and this is great because there's a restoration here. David starts to pray. He starts to seek the Lord's will. The Lord empowers him. Uh, he rescues the, the people from Keilah, from the Philistines. So there's a really a lot of neat things that happen in the next chapter. 
So he doesn't want David there. He wants him to go back among his uh, countrymen. But there are some places that God doesn't want us as well. And we might think, well, they're, they're, they're not bad places, but God just doesn't want us there. He doesn't believe that it's edifying to us. It's not good for our character. He wants us out of there. Psalm 57 and 142 speak about David's time at the cave at Adullam as well. Verse 6. When Saul heard that David and the men who were with him had been discovered, now Saul was staying in Gibeah under a tamarisk tree in Ramah, with his spear in his hand and all his servants standing about him. Then Saul said to his servants who stood about him, Hear now, you Benjamites, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards? and make you all captains of thousands and captains of hundreds. All of you have conspired against me, and there is no one who reveals to me that my son has made a covenant with the son of Jesse. Is there, and there is not one of you who is sorry for me, or reveals to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as it is this day. Boy, he's twisted. His paranoia really, I mean, he's completely distorting the picture here. From his son to, his, to David, David's not after him, but he's paranoid because he left God a long time ago. He's sitting under a tree. He's got his spear in his hand. He's leveling accusations of those that are closest to him. He's delusional, and he's resorting to bribery. Now, a good leader doesn't have to use any one of those. However, it works with Doeg, as we'll find out. Now, in verse 8, he says, you've all conspired against me and you don't feel sorry for me. It's really not fitting for a leader. It shows, you know, it just shows that he's, and, and that's probably why so many left his army and went to, to follow David, because they're like, boy, our leader's not playing with a full deck, you know what I'm saying? Verse 9, then, then answered Doeg the Edomite, who was set over the servants of Saul and said, I saw the son of Jesse going to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, And he inquired of the Lord for him, gave him provisions, and gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. So Doeg the Edomite turns on David, and Himelech the priest as well. And we see in Psalm 52 that there is, David is speaking about Doeg. A lot of that is about him and his evil ways. But Doeg, see, King Saul is among his own people. Doeg is a foreigner. He's an Edomite. Now, if you remember all the way back to Genesis... With Jacob and Esau, Pastor Mike has been going through Genesis, you had this, this struggle between the two brothers, Jacob and Esau, even from in the mother's womb, okay? Uh, but Doeg is an outsider. Now, here's his chance to go from an outsider to an insider. This is very important. You know, we look at the scripture. This happened thousands of years ago. Pastor Joe, how does that affect me? I'll tell you how it affects you, your peer group. Are you an outsider in your peer group? Are you going to a new school and and maybe you're not popular? Maybe you don't know people? And you want to become an insider, but at what cost? Sometimes it's better to be an outsider and be strong in the Lord than compromise and become an insider. And you know what's funny? Kids, teens become big people. And big people do the same thing. It's, It's kind of sad. They kind of play the same game with the outsider-insider thing, and some are very willing to compromise to be popular. I think sometimes, no matter how old you are, it never seems to go away. But we need to be better than that. 
How far would we go to be accepted? How far would we go to get a promotion? Important questions. Would we compromise our Christianity to do any of these things? Now, Doeg, see, is all, there's a lot of lying going on here. Doeg is also embellishing. It's amazing how you can take, um, you can hear a story, and it, it sounds so right. The person gives you vivid detail. Now, Doeg adds, he didn't have to, but he starts to embellish. He says, and I'll tell you what, that Ahimelech even sought the Lord to see what he, he didn't say that. He didn't, Ahimelech denies it, and the scripture doesn't bear that out, so he didn't really have to do that, right? But he, you know, he had to make himself look better. Some know no boundaries to make themselves look better. And I got to tell you, a person with very little character has to do a lot more embellishing to make themselves look better. Can believers do that to each other? A lot of head shaking. You know, some will belittle others. Some will have a critical spirit. And they may be into something they shouldn't be into. But they always have to tattle or, or, or talk or criticize about others in their group so that they look better. And that person has to get, go down. So in comparison they can rise up instead of changing their character. See, repentance is always an option. Few take it, but it's always an option. Restoration, God is, it's that, that's his desire, and we spoke about that on Sunday. Verse 11. Then the king sent to call Ahimelech the priest, the son of Ahitub, and all his father's house, the priests who were in Nob, and they all came to the king. And Saul said, Hear now, son of Ahitub. And he answered, Here I am, my lord. Then Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, and that you have given him bread and a sword and have inquired of God for him, that he should rise against me to lie in wait as it is to this day? Embellishment. So Ahimelech answered the king and said, And who among all your servants is so faithful as David, who is the king's son-in-law, who goes at your bidding and is honorable in your house? Did I then begin to inquire of God for him? Far be it from me. Let not the king impute anything to his servant or to any in the house of my father. For your servant knew nothing of all this, little or much. And the king said, Surely you shall die, Ahimelech, you and all your father's house. Then the king said to the guards who stood about him, Turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because their hand also is with David, and because they knew when he fled and did not tell it to me. But the servants of the king would not lift their hands to strike the priests of the Lord. And the king said to Doeg, you turn and kill the priests. So Doeg the Edomite turned and struck the priests, killed on that day 85 men who wore a linen ephod. Also Nob, the city of the priests, he struck with the edge of the sword both men and women, children and nursing infants, oxen and donkeys and sheep with the edge of the sword. Is it, it, it still amazes me how some men can be so evil. You know, how they can be just so wicked to be able to do that. So King Saul gathers all the priests together, and he wants to know. He has his kangaroo court. He has his fixed trial. Uh, and Ahimelech answers, listen, David, you know, he's your son-in-law. You know, he's faithful to you. He's always done your bidding. That's what I know of David. I didn't know anything about a conspiracy. In verse 17, King Saul orders, the, orders his men to kill the priest, but they refused because there was no honor in it. No honor in it. Now, what did that mean for them later? We don't know. 
At the very least, I'm sure they were removed from their positions, but they couldn't do it. Now, King Saul is, is interesting. He keeps saying, son of Ahitub for Ahimelech and son of Jesse for David. And this is known in our vernacular as a depersonalization technique. What he's doing is he's taking the personal uh, aspects out of these two men so he can uh, cut off his heart from them and he can slay them. That's what he's doing. So Doeg um, has no problem not only killing the priest, not only killing the, the priests that are with him, but going to Nob and killing all their families. Wow. And some in this world would do anything for more money. They worship money. You know, they would do anything to have an easier life. I want my life to be more comfortable. But at what cost? How far are we willing to go? Of course, I don't believe anybody in this room would do something like this. But even on a lesser scale, how far would we go to be more comfortable in life? Once you compromise your values, once you compromise who you are, it's kind of hard to rebuild that again. Okay? So it's something to consider. Um, Ahimelech is interesting. His defense is, he pretty much tells the truth. He doesn't try to defend himself or throw David under the bus, which is pretty honorable. You know, when, when a person is in fear, they're tempted to throw other people in the path. You know, they know that the, the, the judgment or the discipline's coming their way, and they start chucking people onto the roadway, right? Um, it's, it's a, it's, fear does weird things to people, doesn't it? But Ahimelech didn't do that. He pretty much did the right thing. Verse 20, last few verses. Now one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the Lord's priests. So David said to Abiathar, I knew that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have caused the death of all the persons in your father's house. Stay with me, do not fear, for he who seeks my life seeks your life, but me, you, with me you shall be safe. So Abiathar escapes and tells David what happened. One thing about David, he had a, he had a strong conscience. He got caught up in some nutty things in his life. And for those of you who know the scripture, probably the, the one that's infamous is the whole Bathsheba and her husband Uriah incident. However, David took responsibility for what happened. And I remember when, and we'll come to this with, later with Bathsheba, when Nathan comes to David and tells him about this real wicked man in the kingdom who stole another person's sheep, and he had plenty and he shouldn't have done that. And David said, that person shall die. Who is it? And Nathan said to David, probably a little nervous when he said it, you are the man. And David was immediately cut to the heart. So he had a conscience. And I think the whole, you know, trying to figure this out, um, you, we can only go by what the scripture tells us, but the whole idea of being a man after God's own heart, I think repentance is, is a very important character that we need to have. That when we do wrong, we do wrong. But when we're faced and we're confronted in it, what do we do? Do we lie? Do we try to run away? Do we throw other people into the mix? Or do we just come clean and say, you know what? Yeah, wow, I, I did that. Where's, what does restoration look like and how do I get there? Right, so this is what happens. Now, in 1 Samuel 2, we know that there was a familial curse on Eli's line. Eli allowed his sons to do very wicked, wicked things in God's house. Okay? 
It's almost like a pastor who has sons that are pastors and, and he's looking the other way while they're taking money and doing really awful things in the church. But this was even worse. You have to multiply it because you had to understand the system back then. So Eli was going to be judged and his bloodline was, and his sons were judged and his line was judged. And he said that the, the sons of Eli wouldn't sit in, as priests anymore. And you can read that. We actually covered it in 1 Samuel 2. Well, what's interesting here is that Doeg and, and these priests were the descendants of, of Samuel. I'm sorry, of um, Eli. Samuel was good. Eli was the, the one who was doing wicked, his sons were. Uh, but Doeg had free will. Now, I know Vinny back there, has, we've had several discussions about Judas. And this is kind of along the similar line. See, God knows the future. He has foreknowledge. And he... Uh, lets us know things in his scripture, and he predicts things based on his foreknowledge. And Doeg uh, was going to be held accountable for the evil that he did, and so was Judas. You know what's amazing? And I don't know where Judas is right now. I, I, I covered this, and I looked at the scripture, and it didn't seem like he fully repented. Um, I don't think the issue was that he took his life, but the attitude behind him doing that. Okay, so understand that it, it seems he was remorseful, but he didn't go all the way with that. Peter went all the way, but Judas didn't with that repentance and restoration. So wouldn't it be amazing if Judas was, it was predicted in Scripture that he would betray the Son of God for 30 pieces of silver, have Jesus crucified. However, the crucifixion had to happen so that we could have eternal life because our sins needed to be dealt with. And then Judas repents at the end and ends up in heaven with no stain. I mean, that's just how our God works, but it was Judas's choice. I know, for some of you on a Wednesday night, you know, it, my mind, you just twisted my brain in a knot. You understand? We make decisions, and we're held accountable for those decisions. So uh, this had to happen in a sense, but Doeg would have been held accountable for his decisions he, because he didn't have to make that decision. It could have happened another way. So in closing, I want to focus on David. This was a low point in his life. He feared, he faltered, he failed. Not unlike us at times in our lives if we look back. We'll have our down moments. The good news is in the, in the next chapter, he seeks the Lord again and he's victorious and that's the key. The key is that we don't stay in it. There are some that sin and are in a pattern of sin and they stay in it. There's repentance. Whatever you did, Whatever you're into, there's repentance, and then there's restoration, bar none. The only unpardonable sin is continuing to fight against the Holy Spirit when he's trying to show you that Jesus is Lord and you need him for salvation. So the, the, the irony is the unpardonable sin is constantly rebelling against God and saying, I don't want salvation. But any other sin, murder, multiple murder, whatever the case may be, there is restoration. So whatever our situation is, we don't let it rule us and determine our lifestyles. We repent, we're restored, we get back into the business of trusting and having faith in God, and David or us, that is when the blessing will come, and we'll see that in the next chapter. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, as always, we love your word, and... Um, sound system or not, <laughs> you are going to get your word across. The mere fact that we just read these pages and your word